and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast with Matthew Robinson's Gaming Group. I'm your host, Tom Donnelly. Maddie is playing a very, very sad variant of the game of life. This is round six, turn <laughs> nine, and I've got the professor with me on the Skype. Hey, Elder, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. How you doing, Tom? I'm doing great. I'm, you know, <laughs> yeah. given all that is going on. Is uh, everybody safe and sound over there? Yes. How about at your place? Yes. Yes. Uh, so far, so far, dodging bullets left and right. Man. Uh, yeah. Crazy times. Crazy times. Yeah. Um, we are going to be talking today about the 2017 release, Clans of Caldonia. Elder, I think you are starting to become the the, the guy that is going to not review the new hotness, but is going to go back to a to a deeper cut. Yeah. Well, I think it's appropriate being the professor, right? Yeah, no, I I love it. I love <laughs> it. I mean, I, I'm I'm constantly wishing that we could, you know, I've been wanting to review games like Friedrich and things like that for a long, long time. So this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I love it. We're also going to be talking about campaign modes and other ways the lifespan of board games is being lengthened today. Mm. But let's get right to it. Shall we get to uh, what happened in this week's game night? Yeah, let's, let's do, do it. it. Game night is no longer really appropriate because it's a whole bunch of little game nights that are happening all over the place in, in different groupings and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you and I, uh, along with Jennifer and Trey, played uh, Clans of Caledonia this week, getting ready for our review. Yeah. Um, what other games have you uh, have you gotten yourself into this week? Yeah, it's, it's like it's all one big virtual game night now, right? Yeah, uh, totally. <laughs> yeah, so I... Um, I play actually. It, it, it's funny. I think, I think my gaming. Um, I'm getting more game nights in now because I'm. I'm pretty much every night. It's kind of like one of my main ways of keeping my sanity. Oh yeah. <laughs> what What else can you do? Yeah, exactly. You can't go out anywhere, right? So. Um, and and so, just, yeah, I'm sorry. I, 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 let me ask I got, you a personal question, real quick. Is, sure. Is uh, Is your wife still still uh, down south of here? Or we're still working. She is. She is. Wow. And she yeah. is working in a very, very tense environment, especially with the COVID thing. Is she doing okay? Yeah, she's she's hanging in there, but um it, it's getting I mean, I don't want to go into to it too much, but um it's uh it's getting concerning down there, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um and I mean to the point now where, you know, I was able to and it's funny because I, I would on those long drives down to San Diego from LA, yeah, I would listen to the podcast. Right. Uh, on my way down, and it was a great thing. But um, you know, as it stands right now, um, I might not be able to see her for a while. Oh man! So uh, yeah, so it's it's getting real in the field out here, man. No but, kidding. Um, but everybody's still safe and, and healthy. So well, I, I, what you say about the uh, the, <laughs> the commute and listening to the podcast on the commute is ringing so true. I was just looking at our our numbers. Our numbers are down, and I was listening to another one of my favorite podcasts. Um, How did this get made? We're talking about that too. They're like, yeah, we're down about you know they they say they're down like close to fifty percent. We're we're down about a third from our uh, from our normal numbers or something like that. Uh, no. I think it's just it's it's people aren't commuting to work, and if you're not commuting to work, you're you're 
not necessarily you don't necessarily have that time that's carved out for podcast listening. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, but yeah, but back to your your original question. Um, uh, I got to learn um, Pandemine. I think it's called. It's a it's a new game. So I actually got to play a couple of games that haven't been released uh, for virtual play, which has been interesting. Um, so that's one of them that I think it was just uh, kickstarted that game. Uh, I think the Kickstarter um, ended maybe yesterday or the day before. Any designer that we might know? No, I, I'm not familiar with them. Okay. Uh, it's a. It seems like a relatively new new designer. Maybe I'm not sure. Cool. Um, but you like but it's it. a, the the theme is making bread in med- medieval times. It's a very very tight worker placement game. Nice. Um, really, you know, enjoyed the first uh, play of it. Um, what else have I been playing? Uh, got to play Barrage oh. uh, online. Um, we play Clans mm-hmm. uh, um, on Mars. And Blackout Hong Kong. Ah, Blackout quite Hong a bit Kong. Of that online as well. Yes, so. the the uh, the forgotten fister. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, well, uh, the rest yeah. of the group have been playing a lot of Age of Steam. Sadly, without me, Trey hmm. claims they've played Age of Steam more than six times this week. Wow! So they've been crushing the Age of Steam, uh, which will be great news when we get to our eight by eight challenge moment. Um, nice. Jesse put together a very interesting uh, session with that you were in of Avalon. He did his own Zoom Avalon with no other help whatsoever, right? Wasn't that fun? That was a lot. I think that was maybe my my funnest session of Avalon so far. That was fantastic. (laughs) We we had ourselves a blast. We thought that uh, the, the bad guys felt that Elder was Merlin. But unfortunately, we found Percival instead, and so the good guys reign supreme. It's always the the, the saddest outcome in a game of Avalon, but uh, it was a lot of fun. Thanks to Jesse, he did a great job of putting that together. And really, you know, we we had uh, we had maybe a hiccup or two maximum to to work out, but pretty much it worked. I thought it worked pretty seamlessly. Yeah, it was yeah. good. Um, and then. I'm in a I'm in a, a house with you know three to four other people depending on you know when when grandma comes over, and um, we've got all sorts of games that we're playing at at home. We're playing you know we're playing a lot of mahjong. We're playing Ricochet Robots pretty much every single day. Teach you a lot of days. Uh, my daughter wants my daughter and son love to play Ricochet Robots. They are better than me now. They're, it's really sad. They're so darn good. Um, my wife will play teach you anytime. So she's super excited about that. My son is the one that, that I can get him to play new games more often. We played a lot of Bonanza, mm. um, which is just a, a really fun. It's the, the first Uva Rosenberg hit and people don't bring it out much anymore. You know, you never hear people talking about that, but man, what a, what a really fun and interesting game that still is today. It still really holds up. And I've started them on Sagrada. So I, I just think it's, you know, we need something that is short duration um, yeah. for, you know, just I, I think people have other things that they want to do and they don't want to feel like they're locked. They're, they're already locked into the house. Let's not get locked into a game for too long. So I think that's where our house is at. Got it. Uh, but yeah, uh, I guess I guess I'm playing a, a lot more games, too. I'm just mostly playing more home games and, and uh, less online than you are. That's for certain. 
Yeah. How, how was On Mars Online? Is it is it is it hold up? Is it fine? Yeah, absolutely. It works works great. Um, I've been mostly playing on tabletop uh, simulator, um, but I've tried a couple other platforms. Um, I really liked what we what we played uh, clans on last night. What was that um, board game arena? Board game arena. I almost don't want to tell our listeners about it <laughs> because it's so good. All right. Yeah. So here's the deal. It's kind of a European site, but uh, boardgamearena.com. Every game they have on there is fully programmed, fully automated. So you're not fumbling around trying to bring a piece over here or whatever. You're clicking on the action that you want to take and it automates the entire action. It does the thing for you. Um, wonderful. Clients of Caledonia could not have gone better, faster, smoother. Uh, it, it, it was amazing. It was a really, really wonderful experience. They have some games on there. They are missing a lot of games because it takes, you know, it takes programming to get these things to yeah. function that way. But uh, let me let me see if I can get up here and tell you just a few of the games that they I have. Really, I really like the way it handled the stats too. Which is something that you don't get when you're playing these, you yeah, know, it was, other it platforms had, that don't that aren't programmed. Oh, uh, tell me, uh, tell more about that because I want to. Uh, sure, I want people to understand what you're saying because I totally agree. Yeah. So, um, in the the interface, the again the 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 benefit I think of having a game program with software with all the rules is that um, all the statistics. So every every um, thing that you want to track in a game state. Uh, so we're jumping ahead a little bit, but like in clans, you know, uh, how many, um, you know, territories uh, that you have and all of your, um, just all of your uh, resources, right? Like in some of these games we've been having, um, sometimes you don't know how many resources you have because things on, are, are stacked on top of each other. Yes. And, you know, you got to move things around and it's, it's a little clumsy because you're doing it with your, your mouse instead of with your fingers. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, you have to jump around from camera to camera to see what other players are doing. Mm -hmm. Whereas on, on the uh, board game arena interface, you can just simply scroll down the page and you can see exactly in the same place what everybody has, how many points they have in relationship to one another. It's very orderly. It's very clean. Um, there's really no chance of making mistakes because you aren't doing the accounting. The The computer is doing it for you. So it's, it's just a very clean way of doing it. Yeah, I noticed that you couldn't cheat. It was wonderful. We really had a great time. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I, you know, some... honestly, I've, I've that's happened in these other games too, where I've I've had to, you know, say, hey, I, you know, I forgot to take a card. That's another thing that can't happen, right? I forgot to take a card, or I forgot to take a resource, or actually, do you guys mind if I do a little backseas and go back? I forgot to get my thing. None of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or me, I'm finding a tabletop simulator. A lot of times, I'm like, did I do that thing? Right. I'm not. Yeah sure if i did that it's just because it's not because it, it, there's a a little foreignness to it still even though i'm getting better at it yep. i'll sometimes be you know so caught up in trying to move things around the right way and, and all that sort of stuff i'll be like did i did i do my my refresh did i you know did i collect my income for that i'm not sure that i did and there's no way to know there's a you know yep. after, at, at that point it's really really hard to know this game keeps uh, this uh, site 
keeps track of everything, including things like, hey, how many territories are you in? You know, for, for, for final scoring, it keeps an active track of what's going on there. It's really, really great. The yeah. here, here, so they don't have the biggest selection of games, but they still have a pretty decent selection. I'm going to name some of the games that our listeners might be most interested in. They have Terra Mystica. They have Puerto Rico, Race for the Galaxy, Through the Ages, Zolkin, Twa, Kalis, Russian Railroads, Keyflower, Madeira, Nippon, In the Year of the Dragon. That, so, you know, add all those up. That's that's not terrible. Clans of Caledonia I already mentioned, Roll for the Galaxy, Stone Age. Um, they've got a, a decent selection of games. Wish it was more, wish they had more, but... I'm, I enjoyed it so much that I think that I would maybe, to some degree, oh, Lagranha they have. Holy cow. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would probably almost rather play a game that I haven't played in a while on this site than I would play a game that I was more intending to play on Tabletop Simulator. The experience is just, is, is just so much better, so... Yeah, and and it definitely, I, I definitely want to get that Madeira game on with you because we've been talking about that for a while, and and one of the, you know, things that have have maybe, um, you know, gotten in the way of of playing that game is that it's a, it's a you know it's a pretty intense rule set, and it's like oh I got to relearn this game again. It's a great game. Yeah. But but you know to your point playing it on this platform will make it go a lot smoother because all the rules are, are, are in there. Completely agree. I, I feel like that's going to be your next review for your next segment. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I was thinking <laughs> the same thing. We're on the same page. We're on the same wavelength. Done. All right. Well, let's get into the news. A little bit of sad news to start with. Uh, John Conway, who was the inventor of the game of life, uh, he's died of COVID-19 complications. Mm. Uh, sad to say that he will probably not be the, uh, not be the last that we will be, be announcing as these things go. Conway was a Princeton mathematician. He was 82 years old. And Conway's Game of Life uh, was a very interesting game. It was not the Game of Life that we know. Okay, let's be clear about this. It's a game, rather, that was about cells. Sort of very interesting. Uh, People people used it for modeling viruses, for modeling all sorts of things. You can check it out at conwaylife.com. John Conway, dead from COVID-19, sorry to say. Next up in news, we're going to talk about conventions. So as we speak... Origins has moved their convention. We talked about that last week. They moved their convention to within two weeks of Essen, uh, which is going to cause problems for some people, maybe even within one week of Essen. The San Diego Comic-Con has canceled their convention, one of the largest fan-based, geek-based conventions in the world, has canceled. Just shut it all down. Right around there, one week away from there, is Gen Con, Gen Con currently is still full steam ahead and going to happen, but the fact that uh, San Diego Comic-Con has closed down makes a lot of people wonder, is Gen Con going to happen? Elder, you have come to Gen Con with me. You've been part of our Gen Con crew many, many, many years. Could you imagine where we are now? 
even though it is, you know, no. several months away, could you imagine a Gen Con experience that would feel doable in our current environment? No, no way. Not this year. And, and you know, I'm also a, a big fan and attender. I've gone to Comic-Con, San Diego Comic-Con, been fortunate enough to be able to go pretty much every year for about the last 20 years. So it's, it's a big deal. It usually happens around my birthday. It's usually a way I celebrate. And um, you don't just yeah. go. You and your wife do team <laughs> team cosplay. I yeah. have seen you guys as X-Men. I have seen you as Thundercats. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have seen you in person as both of those, I think. But uh, yeah, I mean, that. what a fun, fun weekend that is. Right. Yeah. 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 I don't I don't see any big things like that happening, you know, in, in this year in 2020, maybe if we're lucky in 2021. Yeah. Um, but I, I just don't see it in, in, in any way that it's it's really safe or that that people feel comfortable or or that, you know, the numbers of people. Um, I mean, I hate to even the, the thought just came to my mind. It's it's like it's, you know, if they did have it anytime soon, it definitely would be a way to because uh, it's been overcrowded for at San Diego Comic Con for years, I'm oh, sure. Yeah. They wouldn't even get half the attendance that they normally get just out of concern, right? Sure, I absolutely. Put it yeah. On. Um, but yeah, there's no way. It's just I don't think so either. And yeah. um, they were talking to the uh, Friedhelm um, Merz Verlag, who runs Spiel, the Essen uh, Spiel, mm-hmm. uh, the huge one that we that Maddie and Trey and I went to a couple years back, and uh, they are currently still going ahead um but they when you ask them about it they phrase it in an interesting way they're like well, look we still have seven months before spiel is supposed to come so we're certainly too early to make a decision so they're not saying we're not having it but they're also not expressing tremendous confidence that it's going to happen and that's that's in october so um you know listen there's a, there's so many things we don't know about uh, about this virus, there's so many things we don't know about how long, how you know what the world is is going to be like a month from now, let alone seven months from now. Um, we're all just in a new world where we have to take things day by day. Um, I'm very very glad that San Diego Comic Con um, canceled their show. I think that that is a very, very wise, a very safe thing to do. I think it was a good idea on their part. Um, I don't think Essen needs to shut down yet. I don't think uh, Gen Con needs to set to sh- uh, shut down yet. I will say that coming up soon, Gen Con is going to have their event registration, which is a big day when everyone gets online and tries to get into the particular games and events that they want to do. I would say that for Gen Con, the interesting thing is is that a lot of people buy their badges right before that. Mm-hmm. So it does become one of those things where, what do you do? Do you, do you feel the pressure to make a decision on whether Gen Con is happening before all of these people start paying you money to come to some place that you know that there's a darn decent chance that it might not happen? I don't know. I don't know what to do in that situation, but... Yeah, well, I can I can tell you I've been having, you know, a, a few pretty particular conversations just about the opportunity of, of consulting or um, 
you know, creating some type of service where, there, you know, there's all these conventions that, you know, have all this money on the line. That's their main reason to exist is to have these big conventions which generate millions and millions of dollars. Like, I, I mean, I, I really feel for San Diego. I've heard some stats where, you know, Comic-Con is like 50 percent of their, you know, their economy. And what do they do? You know, in, in, in the midst of, you know, with all this other stuff just being shut down and then they don't have Comic-Con to um, rely on for that for that revenue for the city. I mean, it's just it's it's really tragic in that way. Um, but these companies have to do something because in some cases they do have people registered already. Money's on the line. Oh, yeah. So trying to figure out what is a way to deliver that convention experience in a safe way online uh, through, you know, virtual means. And, and maybe that means some type of, you know, the obvious thing is streaming, you know, but also maybe with virtual reality, um, how can you build more interactivity, you know, and, and I think a lot of what we're experiencing in the board game space is, is maybe a clue to that, you know, having these virtual rooms where people can get together and interact um, and just kind of emulate that. Yeah, I, I, um, totally I think it's going to be a, a really big trend over the next year or so. Yeah, I think I think um, you know there. You you hate to talk about all the good things that a virus is doing, but I do think that we are being pushed into a world that we probably should have been in already in some ways, at least in in the sense of why aren't more people working from home or at least working from home a, a day or two a week? What would that do for pollution in certain, in certain cities for gas consumption, for things like that? I mean, there's, there's a lot that we are, we have the infrastructure to change our ways and we just haven't changed them yet. And we could, we can, you know, we can pull some good things out of this very bad situation. And, uh, you know, I, I think we need to. And, and what you're talking about, you know, you know, trying to figure out virtualization opportunities uh, that add to uh, that add to user experience as opposed to just replace something that you can't do anymore, I think is a really good thing to do. Mm. Let's move on. Let's get to uh, a few games we can talk about. There's not a lot of game news, uh, as you might expect, but... Mm. David Turksey is uh, didn't get the memo. <laughs> Just last <laughs> week, we were talking about a new David Turksey game coming out, and now we have another one to talk about. Uh, this game is called Excavation Earth, which he co-designed with Gordon Kaleha, um, who did Post-Human Saga, and Y. Yi, who did a game called Pocket Dragon. This is a medium-heavy set collection, market manipulation game, one to four players, and plays in about two hours. The idea is... Um, centuries from now or a century from now um earth is just in ruins a races from neighboring solar systems come here to find artifacts left by extinct races and now they're excavating earth and we lead one of the alien race explorers as we try to find rare human artifacts for the ultimate art collection sell-off so it sounds fun. It sounds like a yeah. really fun theme. It sounds like very, you know, tongue in cheek. Um, you get a hand of multi-use cards. Love multi-use cards. Always have. Um, and then players uh, take quick turns playing the actions that allow them to move their explorers around, excavate for artifacts, deploy traders to the bazaars. And, you know, there's sort of a market. So there's prices. Uh, and there's also a black market. 
Um, I don't know. It sounds like it's a lot of fun. A Philip Cruz did the artwork, and the artwork looks gorgeous. Uh, Mighty Boards is the company that's going to be putting this out. I highly recommend you check this out. You know, David Turksey, there's no question. He's a very, very good designer, and this looks like a lot of fun. And for a medium-heavy game that's got, uh, you know, that's got set collection, that's got uh, worker placement, that's got a lot of tough decisions... I don't know. It sounds like it sounds like my kind of brew. What do you think? Yeah, looks beautiful. Definitely, we'll we'll love to try it. Yeah, totally right. Mm-hmm. Um, and next up, Cloudspire has uh, has a Kickstarter right now. By the time you listen to it, there's going to be a couple days left to go on the Kickstarter. Uh, pledge goal was fifty thousand dollars. They're at close to five hundred thousand dollars. So <laughs> I think it kicked. Um, yes. And this is uh, this is an expansion called Ankar's Plunder, uh, which adds two unique uh, factions, uh, solo and co-op scenarios. Uh, spoiler alert: I got a, a prototype of Ankar's Plunder, and Maddie is uh, is playing it when he has a moment. And you can expect a solo mode episode coming out very soon, which is going to review Cloudspire with Ankar's Plunder. Um, and the Kickstarter also includes a series reprint, reprint of the base game, the award-winning Cloud Spire. So uh, check it out if if you're into it. Matt, you know, Matty's had this for a while. He's trying to get the review out, but listen, he's got two kids under the age of two in a house that is social distancing. I mean, it's it's a Herculean task just to you know just to survive the the day in that situation i think they're doing a great job i think they are amazing parents um but you know gaming has got to take the back seat a little bit for for maddie right at this moment and uh, we look very much forward to this review when it comes you ever played uh, a cloud spire or mobile games or any of that sort of stuff uh, I've played mobiles online, but I, I've never tried a, a board game version other than the one that um, Riot put out. I tried that once and was kind of lukewarm on it. I think I, you know, I tend to like the the heavier resource management stuff. So, like, I could see there there could be something to playing a a MOBA on the tabletop, but. You know, generally to do something else. (laughs) For Elder, if there aren't a minimum of 14 different resources that you can uh, earn and collect and trade, he's not interested. (laughs) That is a classic Elder game. Um, Let's move on to Matt Leacock has put out another pandemic. Why not? Everybody is talking about pandemic all the time. There was an article that I saw this week, which was, Basically, somebody saying going through the various pandemic games for people that don't know pandemic and breaking them down, uh, including games that aren't specifically pandemic hot zone and other games. Um, This one is called Pandemic Hot Zone North America. Uh, What it is, is you're trying to cure three deadly diseases only in North America. Um, It's sort of a shorter portable version of pandemic plays in only 30 minutes. So if you have people that, you know, pandemic is a little too much for, listen, pandemic to us feels kind of light to people that are used to checkers and, you know, to, to Monopoly and things like that. Pandemic could seem like a little much. It could seem a, a little heavier, a little more than what they want to do. 
I mean, uh, I think that a, a 30 minute short version that just, you know, condenses a map and, and uh, really distills the experience down is a good idea. So Pandemic Hot Zone coming out at some point in 2020. Next up, we have um, Kemet, Blood and Sand. Uh, Elder, you played Kemet, yes? Mm, once or twice. Once or twice. What, what did you What did you think? What's your What's your gut on it? Well, you know, I obviously didn't like it that much. I've only played it once or twice. <laughs> uh, I guess that's right. You're, you are um, a binge gamer, so you you go. Well, yeah. it, the idea of it was good, though, right? The idea of it was, what if we can do Dune? You know, in a you know, in a in a in a sort of stripped down version. What if we can do a big armies fighting armies game? We have special powers, but instead of these, you know, this old style of cards that we play on a wheel to to determine who wins the battle, we are drafting tiles, and these tiles are giving a, are giving our armies advantages, and so on and so forth. I mean, that's what it was supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's just a matter of my taste. I don't I don't particularly like um, you know. And, and if, in case you haven't noticed by now, I'm very particular. <laughs> like I'm I'm usually when when we play the what game are we going to play next game in between uh, sessions? I'm I'm usually the the pickiest person typically. You and, um, you and Jennifer and Trey. You, Jennifer, yep. and Trey are the three uh, are the three people that'll be standing in in my in my back room looking at three hundred games. And yes. you, the three of you will be like, what about this one? And one of you will be like, nah. <laughs> and then the next person goes, oh, wait, we could play this. Nah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't typically like conflict games. Um, so, you know, that yeah. that's. Well, that's that's going to rule. That's going to rule you out. I think Comet yeah. is a good, uh, a good conflict game. I think it's a good dudes on a map game. Um quite good in fact yeah because it's got a lot of strategy it's not it's not a it's not a dice chucker it's you know you if you're picking the right upgrades you're making the right moves you're you're making the right choices with your limited resources you're gonna have a really good chance at winning the game i I think it's pretty clever as far as that goes Uh, my thing about it is that it's trying to it's trying to redo dune and trying to make a better dune and i personally love dune so much i'm like no it's not better it's not better than Dune. It's different than Dune, but it's not better. Um, they have an expansion, or they have a, a new version called Comet Blood and Sand, and it's just been announced that it is going to be coming to Kickstarter on May 26th. Mm. Um, this is going to be a new... It's going to have new rules based on gaming community feedback. There were some rules issues. Um, streamlined rules and gameplay. Um this thing they're they're promising the promise that it has had countless hours of playtesting and amazing new art and miniatures. So take yeah. well, a look at it. Yeah, and and that said, when I when I think back on those one or two plays, um, I actually did I do remember having fun and that I, I did think it was a good game. It had good art even at that point. So I can only imagine what the new. I, I love Egyptian, you know, kind of as a theme. Yeah, oh yeah. So um, I would I would give it I would give it another go, uh, and I I definitely recommend if you if you do like conflict games then then this and you haven't played this that you should definitely check it out. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think for you it's it's that 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 the very best game ever of that type. You're still probably not going to play a lot because it's just not your right. thing. Right. Yeah. yeah, and Incommend is good. 
definitely. Um, and then last but not least, figure we could all use a little a little lightening up. We could all use a little bit of fun. The most fun article I've read in a long time about board games comes from the oh-so-ridiculous, oh-so-wonderful Rob Report. Are you familiar with the Rob Report, Elder? I'm not. Uh, so uh, the Rob Report is a super glossy magazine that uh, you can buy in... Like, if, if you're a douchebag with a massive 401k... That's the thing that you buy at the, you know, at, at Hudson News uh, at the airport when you're about to get mm-hmm. on a plane. Got it. It has got, you know, it's like 85% ads and the ads are for Bugatti Veyrons and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. boxes that uh, keep your self-winding watches moving so that they keep they keep wound and and so on and so forth. It is it is the magazine of conspicuous consumerism and just dripping with, this is designed for the richest people. It's got a wonderful, wonderful um, sort of classified ad section in the back where people are breeding rare tigers that you can buy and <laughs> all sorts of things like that. And they put out an article, eight Luxury board games to keep you entertained and away from your screen in quarantine. Mm. And I just love this so much. I can't begin to tell you. They're talking about a bespoke games maker, Alexandra Llewellyn, which, by the way, the perfect name for a bespoke games maker. Alexandra Llewellyn uh, decided to make some bespoke games for the upper crust. Um, one of her first hits in the USA, Llewellyn crafted bespoke backgammon and poker sets. Uh, we love this jaunty flamingo design made for Miami Surf Club, and it only costs $14,500. <laughs> the uh, Okapi oh Oracle Deck set, designed, launched by a South African artist and daughter of Richmond chairman Johan Rupert, uh, this one has a standard 52-card deck with two jokers, um, but made with special hand-drawn African deities and animals on each card. This sounds like something you might want, Elder. A yeah. deck of playing cards for only $136. That's it, Elder. That's wow. it. Amazing. Come on. How are you not in? <laughs> okay. How about Bruno Cusinelli's Game of the Goose? The king of cashmere knows a thing or two about staying cozy, and these days that means being swaddled in the finest yarns with the family, or perhaps a board game together around the kitchen table or hearth. Cuccinelli has a rather interesting offering. Game of the Goose, one of the earliest commercially produced games. A dice game and easy to play, and when I look at it, it looks ridiculously easy to play. Uh, the first person to reach the 63rd space on the board wins! Oh! This Swizzy version is made in cryon and walnut wood. (laughs) $9,270. But the best of all, Baccarat Dominoes. Yes, that's right. The game of dominoes has evolved, and the Baccarat version is a long way from the simple wooden stone versions of yore. Designer Marcel Wanders, this lustrous model is carved from black crystal with a box inlaid with marble eight thousand two hundred dollars or or you can get the (laughs) similar version done for the game of go one of the oldest games in the world that one is available at a brisk twenty five (laughs) thousand dollars 
Oh, and I guess I can't. I guess I can't leave off the Jeffrey Parker billionaire monopoly set. Uh, mm. This monopoly set has gold pieces, gold inlay on the spaces on the board, a leather center area on the board, including a leather cup to hold your dice. Um, the pieces are miniature jets and uh, yachts. <laughs> mm. And uh, I believe you can have it for just $6,357. Right. I believe shipping not included. So just keep that in mind, everybody. But uh, if you want to check this out, yeah, just just Google Rob Report Luxury Board Games and have yourself a little fun. That is absolutely adorable. And that is everything that we got on the news. Should we get to Games on the Brain? Let's do it. Let's do it. what's on your brain these days what's going through that that magnificent professorial brain of yours <laughs> uh well i think we gave a preview earlier um just the games that i've been playing this week um you know again i got to play barrage uh and so that's that's really on my my brain now oh yeah um just thinking about how those you know how that water goes down those pathways those those connections and how to optimize that and those contracts um Blackout Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Um, I pretty much have the the game down now, at least, you know, kind of how it works. And now it's just a matter of just maximizing, you know, I'm, I'm averaging about 100 points now. Wow. And which is which is not a, a winning score with the folks I'm playing with. The winning score is like 120, 130. So I'm just, you know, constantly thinking about well, what am I doing during my gameplay? That's not getting me that extra 20 points I need. Right. Uh, so working that out. Hmm. Um, yeah, and this new this new Pandemian game that I just tried out. Um, Can you really tell me a little interesting. Bit about it? What's, what's, uh, what's, it, what's it? What's it about? So Pandemian, um, again, it's a super tight worker placement game set in, in, in medieval times, and you're baking bread. So you're uh, going to places around the town. You're collecting the ingredients that you need to bake the bread. Um, there is, yeast, uh, yeast flour and water. Yeah. Flour, water, uh, curd. Mm. And there's one other one. And of course there's one hearth, um, that you need to hearth space to go and bake your bread. That's the only way to do it. And the, you know, the later you go, if other people go, go before you, it's more expensive in typical work placement fashion. Sure. You want to get master bakers. Um, you want to, you know, Besides selling your bread, you want to find other ways to, um, you know, there's a couple other ways like taking a loan, you know, to kind of get your economy started. And it's got this really cool. There's four different types of bread that the the villagers like to eat. Mm-hmm. And the, the kind of unique mechanics is you can, depending on the ingredients, you can make uh, either kind of basic bread or you can make high quality bread. And of course, the high quality bread earns you more victory points and more money when you sell it. But also what happens is there's a um, there's a degrade that happens every night in between rounds where your your bread, your bread starts to go stale after you bake it. <laughs> so if you don't get it sold, if you don't go to that space uh, where you want to sell it, um, then it'll go down in value. And also you need. Oh, the other ingredient is milk. Of course, that you need. 
and you you know can have a cow where you can get a couple of containers of milk every every time you need it during a round. Um, but if you don't use your milk, it's going to go sour and spoil in between rounds. Right. So day old bread and curdled milk. Yeah. Ah, you manage all these things and you you have a very again it's super tight you i think you start with four workers and you know kind of midway if you um there's a whole church mechanic where you know you need to go pray and stay ahead of the inquisition and you know if you if you get high up on the church track you can get one more worker um but it's it's really tight have you ever played lignum no it's just it, it's it's not at all like that, but it is like that in the sense that it's just loggers. It's just you know people that are cutting down trees and and making them into into boards, and that's the whole game. I kind of like I kind of like games that are very very niche. That it's like no, it's just this. Yeah. It's not farming. It's not this. It's just one card in Agricola. The whole game is about that one card and the activities involved in doing that one little thing. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think you'll dig this game. We gotta try it out, dude. I'm down to try it out. Um, on my brain right now is I'm, I realize that I'm missing long mm. with my family. I'm playing very short games where I'm having a fun time, where I'm having a great time, but they're all kind of short. When I'm playing online with my friends, most part we're playing short games as well, right? Yeah, they're not. You know, they're not taking up a huge amount of time. For some reason, in person. Uh, playing Clans of Caledonia takes three hours online. It takes two hours, right? Yeah. It's it's faster in this in this version. I, I think that just the you know staying online for for that long, not seeing a person face to face. I think there's something that we just we kind of want that experience to be compressed a little bit. And I'm missing longer games. And uh, the board game sommelier question we have today kind of brought that back to me a little bit because it was asking for games more on the heavy end. And and the, the game that's on my brain right now is a game that I have only played once and didn't even play it fully through. But there was a game by Francis Tresham called Revolution, the Dutch Revolt. Mm. And I've like I said, I've only demoed it once, played it once, and I own it and never played my own copy of it. And I'm kind of wanting to try to get that. Like, like I'm already planning, okay, when I can have people over, when we can get together and do stuff, here's what we're going to do. And virtually every version of that involves, okay, we're going to sit down for seven hours and we're going to do this. And I'm like... Are people going to want to come over? <laughs> are people even, yeah. even going to want to do this? Um, but yeah, to some extent, I, I, I want to play, I want to bring out these hard to get to the table games that they may be hard to do in real life, but they're impossible to do virtually. So mm-hmm. yeah. that's where I'm at. And and I guess the other thing is, is that the Board Game Arena really was a, a wake-up call to me that um, a a game that has got great online implementation, uh, that thing that I've been talking about, how when I play a game online, a 10 becomes an 8, kind of goes away a little bit if the implementation is good enough. Um, I would say that Clans of Caledonia, for me, is, you know, if if Clans of Caledonia is normally a 10, this game was a 9. So it's still a little bit of a hit because, you know, I can't. I can't see your. Fa- I can hear the sound of the baby bird dying when, <laughs> right. when you are denied. When uh, and by the way, you had some wonderful moments of that le- yesterday. And when oh. we played this, just just 
wonderful just oh, if people if i could possibly describe the sound of anguish from elder when he realizes <laughs> things have just gone horribly horribly wrong for him it, it, it's like it's like crystal champagne with strawberries it's just perfect it's just oh oh magnifique <laughs> but i can't see your face I can't see your face. So I'm losing half of that experience, right? And yeah. that's why we show up. So, right. but, it's, <laughs> but it's a much better experience. Uh, I, I thought Board Game Arena was fantastic, and I, I, I encourage people to check it out. Yeah. There's, there's one more game that's been on my brain. I almost forgot that I forgot to mention before. Tell me. So this was a game where, you know, one of my last experiences before the quarantine, I was in the game store, I think Game Bug, and um, I saw this game called Flotella. Uh, and it looked really interesting. I think I had spotted it on, on Board Game Geek and, yeah. you know, seemed like it was up my alley and had like a $70 price price tag, very heavy box. Yep. And I was thinking, uh, you know, I, I, I'm interested, but I, I definitely, this is one I want to play before I buy. Yeah. And was actually able to have my first experience playing it um, on Tabletop Simulator and been playing it quite a bit. Very interesting, uh, similar to... Uh, Oh, what's the game with the cards? Uh, yeah, the game with the cards. Poker. <laughs> and, right. Old maid. With it, it, you have to re- refresh your hand and get all the cards back. Um, um, uh, are you thinking? It's got chips. It's Concordia? got silk and Concordia. pots. Concordia, yes. Space on that. So, yeah, it's very similar to Concordia and the way the cards work. Um, but it's got this super interesting, um, you know, you, you start off, uh, you know, on the sink side. Yes. It's, where, got, the, it's got a underwater and overwater sort of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, so you're, you're doing this underwater thing where you're, you know, searching for resources. And then at any, well, not at any point, but at a particular point in the game, when you play your card to recall your cards back, you can decide to flip everything and go top side. Yes. Um, and you don't ever have to do that during the game, which I've never seen that dramatic uh, 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 um, a mechanism in a game where you have that choice. Um, and, you know, once your you, goals you change, go, you the actions right? change. Uh, really interesting and, and fun game. Pretty heavy uh, on the heavier side, mm-hmm. um, but really enjoying it. Once once you go topside, you can't go back underwater, right? Correct. Yeah, Correct. yeah, yeah. So yeah. you're you're basically switching to a whole different phase of the game, which plays radically differently. My understanding is so I've heard a bunch about this game, um, and every time I did it, just there were a, a few things that kept coming up that that for me were like, well, this might be one of those near misses. Uh, but if you like it, gosh, Alder, I can't. I have a hard time thinking of somebody who would recommend a game and more quickly turn my head around on something. But I may have to check that out. I heard that I heard that you really can't probably can't win if you don't go topside. I I, I heard that there's there's too many too much of the scoring uh, opportunities are are topside. Do you find that, or do you think do you think somebody can win without ever going topside? Well, I, I, yeah. First of all, I think you can win. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it it's very situational in that like we've you know kind of again just maybe I've played it four or five times so far. Um, I think the game does play quite differently, whether you have three, four or five players. And I think it greatly depends on, um, if 
how many players decide to go topside and win during the game. Gotcha. I think if if most of the players, if you know, say you're playing a five player game and two or three of the players go topside and you stay bottom side, I think you got a really good chance of winning because the topside players begin to give benefits to the bottom side players. Got it. Oh, yeah. I, I would love to check it out. That sounds yeah. very, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the eight by eight challenge. We knocked out six train games. We knocked out Age of Steam six times mm-hmm. this week. Insane. Even more insane, I didn't play one of them. And that's <laughs> and I'm the one that's pushing everybody to play Age of Steam all the time. I'm always like, we can play Age of Steam. And everyone's like, no. So congratulations, guys. Thanks for the call. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm I'm actually I'm actually happy about it because if more people are getting into Age of Steam, that means I'll finally be able to play more Age of Steam, which I absolutely love. Yeah. And that's it. Let's get to the game review. This week we are reviewing Clans of Caledonia, a 2017 release. The designer is Juma Aljuju. The artist is Clemens Franz, the Clemens Franz from Agricola, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it is put out by Karma Games. Elder Elder, my, my brother from another from another Scottish clan. Would you please go over the basics of what Clans Caledonia is? Sure. So the, the basics of the game is um, you know, it's it's typically the theme is, is farming. Uh, there's uh, a good deal of area control in the game, there's resource management, which you know I love. Um, I don't have the count exactly, but I think there's it's not quite 16 resources, but there's uh, there's at least a good seven or eight, I think. Um, and um, uh, you basically get money uh, each turn, and the money kind of determines how many actions you could take. So, so managing your finances is really important uh, in the game. And I think one of the main things is, uh, you know, it has this mechanic like... Um, that, you know, I think was made really famous in uh, Terra Mystica, but I think we determined started off in, in games like um, Hands of Teutonica, yes. where you start off with these wooden pieces that are on your player board. And as you uncover these pieces or build these uh, pieces out onto the main board, um, you get benefits in between rounds. So, for instance, if you build a sheep in an area, then you'll start producing wool um, from that space uh, each time. Um, and you have these uh, producing spaces. So if, if it's cow, um, you'll produce milk. Uh, if it's um, wheat, you'll, you know, you'll produce that wheat and those are, you're getting two wheat for those and those are very expensive to plant those. Um, but then there's also these um, things that you can build that will upgrade the, the basic resources. So you can build a little cheese factory that'll take your milk and turn it into cheese. Um, you can build um, uh, a whiskey distillery that'll turn your, your wheat uh, into whiskey, which is a really expensive produced resource. Uh, and then you have these contracts that are looking for the um, the more produced resources. And, you know, it was funny in our game last night, we were, you know, joke. I, I joked at the beginning that um, that it's a contract game, and if you focus on contracts, you'll win. And we were kind of debating that throughout the game, and it, it turned out Trey did win by you know having the most contracts. Um, I don't think that's always the case in the game, but um, I think it, it it might be. It might be. It might be true. 
we'll, we'll find out. It might be. It, it'll, it'll be, uh, uh, let's save that for the end of the discussion. It's, a, it's, a, it's an important yeah. point to bring up. Yeah. Uh, so each of us plays a different Scottish clan. So we each have a different variable starting powers. In other words, we have different abilities. And we also start with a slightly different um, resource allocation at the beginning of the game. Everyone starts with a few things, a few things here and there. Um, one clan will be better at one thing. One clan will be better at another thing. This is definitely one of those games where when you start with a clan advantage, you best take advantage of the clan advantage. You better lean into it, lean into it heavy, and do everything you can. You've got everyone has the exact same uh, player board, which has got um, four uh, rows of four different pieces, right? Uh, rows of four pieces of the same kind. You have four miners that go on the mountain spots, and they mm-hmm. will generate income. You got four uh, woodworkers that go on the um, wooded spots, and they will generate income as well. You've got four sheep farms that'll go down. And they will uh, generate your wool. You got four cow spots, and you put them out, and they're going to generate milk, and so on and so forth. Four of each. As you're going out, the cost is listed on uh, for each one. They, they're they're different. So a miner costs ten to put out. A sheep costs eight to put out, and so on and so forth. Uh, in addition, every space on the board, every hex on the board, has its own cost, and you add that cost to the cost of the piece that you're putting out, and that's the total cost. This is a game in which uh, you're going to start off with, you know, 50 to 60 bucks, and you're going to take as many actions as you can until you're almost out of all of that money. Saving money between rounds, rarely a good idea. And what you want to do is you want to figure out a way to build up some income because money is king here. Everything you do, almost everything you do, costs money, right? Mm-hmm. And, yep. uh, yeah, um, the way you score points in the game... Is much like Terra Mystica or Gaia Project, at the end of the game, there's going to be a big score for the most settlements. And settlements meaning pieces that are bunched together of your color. In addition, much like Terra Mystica or any of these games, you have a shipping range, which means the amount of water you can cross and still be connected into sort of one empire. Super important because if I have 10 pieces and they're all touching one another and we're not crossing rivers or we're not crossing lakes or anything like that or locks, as we should say, then you're in a situation where you're not getting uh, 10 pieces together in one area is worth one village, essentially, at the end of the game. Whereas if they're all across rivers or across locks, then all of a sudden those 10 can be worth 10 different 10 points because there are 10 different things um i think it's 18 points for the person with the most separate uh, villages or separate uh, settlements yep. um 12 for second and six for third yep uh then there are contracts to fulfill contracts are things like uh turn in four bread and you're going to get the resources listed on the right side of that contract turn in two whiskey two cheese and a beef uh, and you'll get those resources. Now, most of those resources, you're just resources you've collected, and you're going to trade them in. Some of those resources, like beef or like pork, or not pork, beef and uh, mutton, I guess, Yeah. Um, to, tr- to get those, you have to take pieces off the board. I have to take a cow off the board to get a beef. So you're transforming your board that way. And the other thing is there is a market. 
there is a market out there and everybody starts with two merchants that can go to that market and each merchant can buy or sell one item. You can sell items for whatever the going rate is. You can buy items for whatever the going rate is. And when you do that, that rate is going to move up or down one space um, to represent that. So a lot of times, if you want to fulfill a contract, you're going to be growing some of the things that you need, but some of the others, you're going to have to go to the market and buy. So once again, money, 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 money in this game. Um, yeah, so the the terra mystica of it is is undeniable, right? It's, it is, um, when we look back at Hansa Titanica, Hansa Titanica, was innovative in the sense that you have a board that has little squares on that board. And over the course of the game, you're pulling things off of the board, squares and circles off of the board, placing them on the main board. And in doing so, you're unlocking abilities. That's essentially what we're talking about here. Terra Mystica went a step further. And now the pieces that you're pulling off are not abstract anymore. They represent things. They generate income of various kinds. They 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 kind of do more and they mean more um, in terms of what they do. So it, it was a natural progression of that. Gaia Project took that even further. And uh, the same year that Gaia Project came out, so did Clans of Caledonia. Mm-hmm. Um, my copy is signed by Jumal Juju. Uh, we met him at uh, Essen and he was a, a delight, really a nice guy. And uh, what a great game. I'm, I'm really glad that you brought this uh, out elder because i you know i mostly play guy project mm-hmm. never never play terra mystica again um <clears throat> but i now remember oh when this first came out i played this all the time and i didn't really play guy project much right so uh, it's pretty fantastic um do, do you feel there like obviously you wanted to play this game yes you love this game yeah what do you think are, whatever it's compared to the others, compared to Terramistica, compared to Gaia Project, what strengths and weaknesses? Well, I, I actually I've, I have yet to play Gaia Project. What? Yeah. And so, yeah, I haven't played it yet. And I don't know, I don't know if I will, actually. I, I played Terramistica. I remember being kind of fascinated when Terramistica first came out. It was, it was hot, hot, hot when it first came out. Um, I enjoyed my plays of Terra Mystica. I think, you know, again, this is another thing that happens to me with, with some games, and this is definitely one. Um, I didn't play it enough to keep up with. I mean, again, I play games with, you know, people like you, the Game Master, and, and <laughs> all my my game groups, my favorite game groups, are highly competitive, sometimes championship-level players, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Um, I just fell behind the curve, and and I I think uh, Terra Mystica doesn't quite work really well with my game brain. Doesn't feel good to me when I'm playing Terra Mystica. It's a little bit too tight uh, for me, yeah. And and the way the game works, and so um, you know I I kind of again when it comes up now as one of those games to play, I'll, I'll let other folks play it. I'm, I'm not really that interested. And yeah. um, whereas this game. Uh, I, I don't feel like, even though it is a, a, a spirit, uh, spiritual sister or brother, I think, to Terra Mystica, I feel like it plays very, very differently. I feel like this game works a lot better with my game brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just enjoy it a lot more. I, I, don't, I don't think it feels like Terra Mystica really at all, even though 
a lot of the underlying mechanics are undeniable, um, including the asymmetrical starts, which which I don't really enjoy in the Terra ter- Mystica space. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I think that's one of those things where, where people really kind of got the strategy on how their asymmetrical starts worked and how they worked against other players, uh, which I think is really important. Whereas in this one, I feel like you, you got to know how your clan works, but I don't feel like it's it's as impactful how yours work in relationship to the other players on the board. I think that's right. I think that the in uh, Terra Mystica and Gaia Project, your species breaks the rules of the game in fairly profound ways. In yeah. this, in Clans of Caledonia, it is it provides you an advantage, but it doesn't utterly change the 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 way that you play the game. It gives you an advantage, but it doesn't dominate your 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 thinking and change the game in, in such radical ways. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. Why, why did you say that you 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 probably won't play Gaia Project? What's what's that? Well, I think again, just because I, I I'm not really so interested in playing Terra Mystica again, because I'm I'm playing I'm playing with sharks. Like I like I think <laughs> for me to enjoy Terra Mystica, to have to play with people at my level, and again, that I don't feel like that really exists in my in my game groups mm. anymore. Um, and what? so I, those same folks that you know again, are very advanced. I feel like Terra Mystica players have taken to Gaia Project and, and now have played that a ridiculous number of times, and yes. I haven't even played once. So I just feel like it just won't be very much fun for me yeah, but playing game, with the people I play with. Our game group are dilettantes. We're, we're hopping to here and there and the other thing. We, we don't play any one game enough to, to just <laughs> totally rain on your experience. We're not that way, right? We're like, oh how, yeah, guy project. I remember that. I think we played that seven months ago. Come on. How many? How many plays of Gaia project do you have under your belt, Tom? Um, how many total plays? Yes. Ten, twelve, maybe. Exactly. No, but that's it. That's like, and and by the way, in my top ten games of all time. I got it. And I've but only played a lot it, of plays, though. And that's I've only played it ten experience. times. I haven't played it in six months. I, I'm. What do I have to do to get you into Gaia Project today? Okay, this is a. This is not even a review of Gaia Project, but you have to do it. I, I'd be willing you to will play love it. Once. Now, he, okay. So here's the thing about Terra Mystica and why what you're saying is more true for Terra Mystica than it is for other things. Terra Mystica okay. has a fixed board, and that's a mistake. Mm. That's a problem. Yeah. Because once you play that game six times, you know that if I'm playing the halflings, then I, here are my start positions. I'm going to start here or here or here. That's it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And your first yep. time playing, there's 20 places. I have no idea which is which is which. But because the board is fixed, because it's the same every time, things get very scripted very quickly in terms of what's ideal. Right. Uh, to the point of we found out that on that original map in Terra Mystica, there are better races than others. There, are, If you are playing a black color, your placements on the map are better than other people's. If mm. you're playing yellow, your, your situation is worse. And because of that, that really affects things. Whereas this, Clans of Caledonia, has a modular board. 
It's got yeah. four pieces, and it is, uh, you know, it, it arranges in a variety of ways, and so no two games are the same. The board never looks exactly the same, so you always have to do sort of a fresh analysis of, okay, I'm playing this clan, which I haven't played in a while. I'm playing this board, which I've never quite seen this particular configuration. Where should I start? What should I do? That keeps people who have played this game tons of times from immediately going, okay, well, clearly I'm going to do uh, opening A3, you know, it's it's it's, it's not that guy and the, the ports as well. Yes, very much so. Yep. Yeah, uh, there are there are four ports in the four corners of the map that are sort of free actions if you can reach them that unlock a little extra one t- one time abilities, powers, uh, benefits, and they're quite good. They're quite good, and your game should be to some degree focused. Uh, around which two ports minimum am I going to try and get to in this game, and what am I going to do with the benefit of that port when I get to it? Yeah. Um, and I'm going to tell you, Gaia Project has got 9, 10, 12 interlocking pieces that form the map. Mm-hmm. So radically different every single time. Not only that, but the victory conditions, the in-game victory conditions, there are six or eight of them radically different every time the technology tracks that are in that game which are sort of like the um, temple tracks in in uh, Terramiska yep. radically different every time the game looks radically different every single time and because of that the ability for a person that has played it many times they are going to be better at analyzing the new layout and seeing what they think is going to pay off well but they're not going to have this automatic advantage that you have in games with fixed maps and things like that. So anyway, enough about that. Um, I think you're absolutely right that Clans has has sort of minimized the variable player power uh, abilities in a way that uh, Terra Mystica and Gaia Project really lean into. They are much more about uh, coming up with powers that play very, very differently and sort of almost have their own game and their own style. Uh, Clans of Caledonia, um, everybody plays the same game. You just have this one special thing that you can do, and you have this one special thing that you can do. So there's a, a simplicity and an elegance to that that I like sometimes. However, me, personally, if there is a variable player power that kind of breaks the game and yet you can balance them, I think that's amazing. I mean, yeah. I think of Marco Polo. You know, all of those guys are crazy. And yet, for the most part, you could win with almost any of them. I, I, I think Mercator is a little a little broken. But other than that, I think they're all, you know, they, they, all, got, they all got a shot at it. And I think they're very, they're, they're, it's very, very interesting. If you can pull it off, I think it's pretty great. Yeah, I agree. My second thing is, is that can you win without contracts? Can you? I don't, I don't think, think so. I don't think so. Because the other thing that we didn't mention about the contracts is there's a there's another mechanism in the game where each contract, um, once you fulfill it, gives you a certain number of these other um, uh, resources. So here here's upping the resource count to maybe now we're up to 15 or 16 now. Uh, it's like tobacco, cotton, and sugarcane that you get on the contract. And um, depending on the contracts that the other players and you uh, fulfill, um, those uh, each have their own, um, you know, uh, you track those each 
uh, on the board. Yeah. And so the ones that like, let's say the tobacco, right? If everybody fulfills contracts, they get them tobacco, then the tobacco is actually going to be worth less points. I think there's three, four and five points for each one of those uh, elements. Thinking about them as resources is probably misleading because they're not really resources. They're not things you can do anything with. What it is, is when you complete a contract, you are going to get a or B or C or D, which is hops. Hops is a fourth victory point thing that you get. And whatever hops you get, that's just plain victory points. That's all you get. Just victory points. Um, Tobacco leaves. Let's suppose I have a contract and it's going to give me two tobacco leaves and two cotton. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go up two spaces on the, uh, I'm going to go up to two cotton and up to two uh, or say three tobacco leaves. If I'm the first person to do that, what I have done now is I said sugarcane is stays at zero. Yep. Uh, Cotton is at two and tobacco is at three. The rules of the game state that at the end of the game, whichever one of those resources is the highest, each one of those resources is worth three points at the end of the game. Whichever one is in the middle is worth four points at the end of the game. And whichever resource there is the least of in the game, that's worth five points. So currently, with three tobacco, those are worth three points each, so that's nine points worth. The cotton, I have two of, they're worth four points each, so that's worth eight points. But it is a constantly shifting thing. If if a lot more cotton comes out, suddenly that cotton that I had, which I thought was worth four, is now only worth three. Or let's suppose the the others jump up above it. All of a sudden, that could be worth five. So it is kind of a dynamic uh, market of of victory points, which changes the relative value of each contract based on that, which is a, 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 a very interesting thing. It's something you need to keep an eye on and to keep track of, but it's not a resource in the traditional sense, right? Right. Yeah. And it's very hard to manage, but it is something to keep your eye on, you know, during the game. All right. Which is in, in, in your selection of what what contracts uh, and also um, the contracts get at first you get paid to take a contract in the first round. But later in the game, you actually have to pay to take contracts, which really eats into your income. Yes. I think the first round you get uh, it's five bucks. Five bucks. Yeah. Yep. Second round, you get contracts for free. Third round, you have to pay five and, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, for me, this is a little bit of a problem. This is a it, listen, I love Clans of Caledonia. I, mm-hmm. I think it's, I think I rated it a nine on Board Game Geek. I think it's, it's still, it's an amazing game. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's in comparison to Gaia Project, though, I'm going to dock at a point because there is one dominant strategy that pretty much everybody has to uh, adhere to Mm. and the other strategies of the game that the game kind of pushes you toward right those end game scoring opportunities are dwarfed by the contract points yeah and that's a problem i wish it was more balanced i mean I, i i could right now just Say, if you made those three goods that are worth points of the contracts worth two, three, and four instead of three, four, and five, that alone might adjust things, might might make mm-hmm. things a, a little bit more balanced. But as it stands, the game kind of pushes you to, you know, 
say what you want about Guy Project and Terra Mystica, there's a lot of ways to get points in that game. And there's and if somebody is going heavy <clears throat> in strategy A, you've got strategy B, C, and D that you could potentially dominate to catch up and and uh, and surpass them, right? Yeah. Um, and this game doesn't quite have that. The the strategic variety isn't quite as balanced as I would like it to be. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that because. You know, again, it, it is most likely uh, whoever gets the most contracts or fulfills the most contracts is going to win the game. Yeah. No matter no matter what the other players do, and um, you know, you can't. It's it's very hard to control and manage. And those those um, I don't think you're going to win on uh, the individual round bonuses. You know, no. like that, that, that can't make the difference. And, got, and maybe that would be another way to balance the game as if those were maybe worth, worth more. Maybe I'm not sure, but, um, but I agree. It's like, it, it's, it's kind of deterministic and, and it really, a, a tight game, I think is going to require that each player kind of ties on, on contracts. If, if somebody, again, in a case like last night where Trey fulfilled what, like five or six, um, uh, yeah, he came in first on contracts. I came in second on contracts, and we came in first and second in terms of points as well. Um, yeah, it's just it's just the way it is. Even though I came in first in terms of the board presence at the end of the game, I think I came in in first in terms of round bonus points scored. So you know, but it it was not nearly enough to make up for having two or three less contracts than than yeah. he did. It was a yeah, it's a, it's it's a minor detriment. The fact of the matter is, is Clans of Caledonia is a trading and resource management game. It is a game in which there is a market where you can buy and sell resources to get what you need to fulfill these contracts. So the game. It, it's not hiding the fact that that's what the game is. It's not lying to you. It's not saying, yeah. oh, it's about all these different things. No, this is this is the game. Uh, I, I just feel that the game has all of these other elements and has all of these other design features, and I wish they were more balanced so that there was more that you could do instead of everybody chasing the same thing. Yeah. A little bit. A little bit. But yeah. as I said, I rate this game a 9. Out of ten, yeah. this game yeah. is crazy good uh, and astonishing. Last thoughts: What do you what do you want to say about it? Yeah, I think it's. it's uh, I just want to echo: It's just I think it's a really solid, tight game. You know, um, I really like the way all of the the elements work together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like playing around with the with the different variable powers. I I tend to like the um, if I if I can choose them. The same guy I had last night, which was the hops guy, yep. uh, which turns the um, you can turn hops into beer for a lot of money. It's, an, it's another way to get uh, a pretty dramatic amount of money, which you really need to drive the game. Um, and I think it's just, you know, fun playing around with that. And the, the opportunity is very interactive as far as the board is concerned, because okay. you can cut people off and, and a, another kind of tricky element of the game which we didn't do a whole lot last night but i think can really you know kind of turn your fortunes in the game if you can take advantage of it is when you build next to somebody you get a discount you kind of get a free um purchase action and you can buy that particular type like if i build next to somebody that has a cow i can buy some milk at a discount 
And I think if you can take advantage of that uh, to help fulfill contracts or even to manipulate the market, uh, I think that can really help you out in the game as well. So I think there's a, a lot to to explore in the game space. And I think for that one minor element that we both agree on that you kind of have to focus on contracts to a certain degree, uh, I think it's just super super solid and super fun. And it doesn't take for, I think, how heavy it is um, doesn't take an extremely long time to play as well. I think it's a good length of time game. Yeah, I, uh, we didn't mention that, but I think that's absolutely true. I think it plays half hour to an hour less than the other games that we're comparing it to, Terra Mystica and in particular Gaia Project, which can get a little a little bogged down. And then just for me personally, um, when I play Gaia Project, even though I absolutely adore it, um, I can't really adopt a thick Scottish uh, burr, <laughs> which always turns into an Irish brogue, but you know yep. that that being that being what it is, uh, my ability to uh, you know to be a Highlander for a couple hours, I, I will say that uh, locked into uh, to my house in in Los Angeles, it's a wonderful thing to escape to the Highlands. Yeah, and it's a wonderful thing to play with you, Elder. I I really enjoyed that game. Uh, it, you and and Jennifer and Trey, uh, just so fun to get the gang back together and and play that game. Yeah. Super fun. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Clans of Caledonia 2017. Uh, what can we say? It's, it's, a, it's a fantastic game. It is uh, not in my top 10, but it's, it's probably in my top 20, definitely in my top 30. It, it's an astonishing game. And if you've never played it, find a time to check it out. And check it out on BoardGameArena.com. Get your friends together and... Uh, uh, try and get a server and, uh, you know, learn, watch a video, learn the game, and then go play it there because the implementation is fantastic. Which comes to our segment, our segment today. What are we going to be talking about, Elder? Uh, what we're talking about today is a campaign game. So the, the, the I think the overall theme of this, um, this round, right, mm -hmm. is... Um, how games have changed. Ch -ch -ch changes. Yeah. And one thing that we've seen change that definitely wasn't there when I entered the hobby is this this idea of, of campaign games or games that change in the board game space. I think we're we're used to, I think we, we both have a background of, of role-playing games, right? Where we're mm -hmm. used to the idea of having a campaign where you have some elements and you get together from session to session and, and there's some persistence. Yes. Um, you know, several years ago, um, I remember the um, the first announcement of, you know, legacy games. Yes. Um, and I think campaign games are kind of like an, an offshoot. It's an, it's an interesting kind of play between legacy and campaign and what those differences are. And we can get into that a little bit. But I, I think I wanted to talk more about campaign, uh, which means that it's, it's not a legacy game in the fact that... Um, something necessarily seems persistent you don't write something on the board or something uh a card changes so that level of permanence but campaigns usually tend more towards story and this idea that it's the same basic underlying game but in this episode of the game or this session of the game there's some new element added some new mechanism some type of change that that makes the game um a little different and and hopefully a little more interesting than than the base game 
So to say, uh, so a legacy game is one in which the landscape of the game changes in fairly significant ways, even the rules of the game change. Whereas in a campaign game, the rules of the game largely remain the same, but the circumstances with which you start each round of the game are changed based on previous rounds. Is that, is that a fairly decent summation of, of how you're separating those two terms? Um, I, I think, again, the, 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 in the campaign game, it's more about there, there's some particular rule. Mm-hmm. So it's a mechanism change versus legacy is, is a, an element change. Like there seems to be this level of kind of, of permanence where, you know, again, like I, I think the most obvious example is there's a, there's a space on the board, on the, the main board that was one way when you started the game and then there was a session of the game where it was permanently changed and it'll always be that way yeah um, every time you play the game afterwards whereas in campaign games it can be more fluid yeah there, there is no permanent uh element of the game mm-hmm. but the the rule or the mechanism may change now just last week we reviewed glenmore 2 chronicles Uh, where does the, where does the term chronicle fit into your, your thing? Is that more, is, is that to me, it seems like a sort of barely a campaign, like a little bit of variety, but not really, not really, it changes the way a game is played from one session to another without pretending to extend one story. Exactly. Yeah. There, there isn't in, in Glenmore, which I enjoy Glenmore too. Um, you know, there, it does have this element where you have these little boxes, right. For that particular campaign or episode of the game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it might introduce some new cards or, or, um, a new meeple or a new, um, uh, kind of token to put on top of a a blank space. But again, it isn't permanent. You can, you know, you pull it out for that particular campaign and then you put it back in a box and then there's another box for another campaign. Um, and there's no there's no real story involved. Right. It does change the game. It may change your focus a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but it's basically the same game that you're playing. It's yeah, just it's yeah. just something to add. A, it's just a, something else to throw into the recipe that gives it a little little different flavor. Got it. Yeah, I think I agree with that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Campaign games. What's 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 your favorite campaign game? What's the what's the what for you ticks all the boxes for Elder's perfect idea of what a campaign should be? Um, well, I'm still I'm still exploring this place. I, I think I, I it's just a very interesting idea that I wanted to talk about because it is such a significant change, and I do like this kind of dynamic that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, I think it's interesting to, you know, as we're doing kind of look at the difference between campaign and legacy. And I think there is some overlap. Yeah. Um, I think um, and I, I'm not sure how this lands in the in the, the definitions as we're Uh-oh. as we're trying to put them together. Are you going to say Maracaibo? Um, I'm sorry. Are you going to say Maracaibo? No, no, because I haven't. I actually haven't played the the campaigns. I only got to play the base game, but I would love to try those in Maracaibo. I was going to say underwater cities. Um, Interesting. Yeah, um, 
and and that's really more of a, a well i guess that's really more of an expansion right than a campaign so i don't know if that really classifies but um I mean, I would say that for for a campaign game to be a campaign, you'd have to have a sense of at the end of this game, the story stops here and the next game we start afterwards and things are changed because of that. I guess I guess to some extent, the expansion is kind of like that a a little bit, but not uh, maybe not in in the in the strictest sense of of the word. Right. Yeah, I I don't think so. uh, I, I think probably Glimmore Two is definitely more of of a campaign, yeah. Uh, in, in the way that we're defining it, um, there was the other game that was the um, the next extension of the Oh My Goods. What is the New New Dale? Yes, yeah, Expedition to New Dale. Yeah, New Dale. That's I think that definitely fits in the in the campaign, um, you know, definition. I think as we're defining it. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, listen, there are dungeon crawls have campaign games up the wazoo, right? Because they're yeah. they're basically mimicking Dungeons and Dragons, which is a campaign game. That's what the whole game is about. Right. Um, it's about telling extended extended stories. So Gloomhaven, Tainted Grail, Kingdom Death Monster, Too Many Bones. All of those games are sort of built around that, but those aren't exactly the kind of games that that you and I play too often. Right. So what we're looking at is we're looking at a space in which each game is its own thing, and now what if you add in those elements, which I think is 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 really interesting to me. So, yeah, I I, I agree with that one. Um, I, I think did you ever play Above and Below or Near and Far? Um. I think I did, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I know I've played at least one of those games, if not both of them. But it's been a, it's been a minute. Yeah, Ryan Lockett uh, designed them, and they're kind of they have uh, storybooks that go with them. So when you choose, you have workers. You're going to place those workers. You're going to choose actions to take. There is a sort of press your luck aspect in which when I go down to explore, I'm going to turn to page 59 and look at you know read that entry and then in that entry it's going to say do you want to you know uh, explore that deep dark place where the moans are coming from or do you want to grab what little you can find here and get the heck out of there right and Mm -hmm. it gives you an idea of what metric is going to be tested by that and if i have done a good job of collecting the right kinds of resources i'm like oh well you know what i i seem to be really loaded for bear in that category i'm going to press my luck and go for the for the bigger thing um they tell a a story uh, that is kind of interesting and the campaign aspect for that is that above and below is a sequel to near and far not just in that it shares a lot of the same mechanisms but it's literally a story of the same people that in near and far kind of get destroyed and driven out and in above and below they're sort of trying to rebuild and uh, and start over again kind of, mm-hmm. which, which i thought was kind of interesting it's just it's it does a good job of um bringing story more to the forefront of a game that is otherwise a a euro game in which you know story story and theme kind of take second billing to some extent yeah right so yes Yes. And, and again, I think I, I don't think I've seen I, I think maybe the reason part of the reason why I don't have a favorite yet, besides, you know, I haven't 
played as many of these games as I think I, I like so far. I'm very intrigued and interested because it is, I think, a relatively new thing. Um, and it does take some level of commitment, right? Like, oh, yeah. And, in a, um, a space where I think a lot of times, you know, like you said, we do like to play the, the new hotness a lot of times, even though, you know, again, I like to binge game. Um, but getting everybody to agree to play the same campaign game, <laughs> you know, from from week to week over any uh, amount of time um, takes some some coordination and some commitment, and some planning. Right. Um, I just started um, a charter stone um, online which we uh, have agreed to play on on Tuesday nights, right? And we've gotten, I think, maybe two or three um, uh, games in. Um, and I, and I, I don't know where this falls. I kind of feel like there is some, I think it, maybe it is a little bit more legacy than campaign, although yeah. it does try to have a story element. I, I think, well, uh, but, but yeah, but legacy can definitely have uh, 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 story elements right betrayal legacy is very much a story game it's betrayal on the house on the hill so it's a classic story construction whereas seafall and pandemic legacy are a little lighter on the story but but even so pandemic legacy in comparison to pandemic is has tons more story right yeah yeah i I think charterstone definitely is is a is a legacy game even if are you ripping cards up and and throwing them out in that one i can't remember um, I've only played it online, so <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what the physical uh, aspects are. There's definitely new. There's like these these kind of loot boxes that you get during the game where yeah. you're getting new cards that that don't don't only affect you but also open up things to the other uh, players. I think that it's very heavily a worker placement game where you're collecting resources and and um, kind of. Um, transforming resources into other things Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the game. Um, There is a persistent scoring um, element so that, um, you know, you're you're winning not just the individual uh, sessions or games, but there's there's an overall um, scoring system. So you you you, again, I've heard people say that they they won several um, individual sessions, but they wound up wound up losing the entire campaign. Yeah, you know. that's that's very much a legacy type type experience right. to some extent. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, I, just an aside. Um, <laughs> so when I'm playing games with my family, they yeah. they consider me to be a um, how would I put this? Not the neatest person in general, but okay. amazingly OCD about games. Yeah. Right. Yes. Uh, hey. Why are you bending that card, right? Why are you doing? Why are you doing that? What are you doing? Did, did we lose a piece? I just found a piece under the, you know, I, I found a piece next to the carpet, right by the thing. Why didn't somebody grab this and put this away, right? Because otherwise the game's not playable, and then all of a sudden I got to buy a new copy and blah blah blah. Right. Playing Pandemic Legacy with the kids, their favorite thing about it is when a card is to be removed from the game forever and never seen again, mm-hmm. because I'm like. What would you prefer to do? Would you prefer to rip it up right in front of my eyes? Or should we go out on the balcony and we can set it aflame? And they're like, oh, oh. <laughs> you know, and okay, 
just cross that out on your sheet and you tape this over the rule book and change the rules and and put stickers on the board that are going to to totally mar the board and they're like that's the most amazing thing ever oh my god i can do illegally i can do this right in front of my dad it's amazing there there really is kind of a joy to the changing dynamic of a of a legacy game that that it implies a certain freedom you know that that every other game that you've ever played these are the rules and these will always be the rules and we shall not break the rules. And now all of a sudden you're breaking the rules, you're breaking components, you're throwing things out, you're adding things in. And, and, uh, there, there is, uh, for me as well, a, a certain freedom and joy and freshness to that experience. Yeah. And, and for me, it's like, I, I think I cringe a little bit. I think where in a lot of areas of my life, I'm not so OCD, but particularly around games, I think for, for similar reasons as you, right? Like you want to mm-hmm. keep the, the integrity of the game intact. And, and I think that's the, the case for a lot of, um, you know, really serious, uh, you know, board gamers. Um, we're, that's one of the things I love about our community. We're just so precious about making sure not to lose pieces and, you know, finding them and making sure they get back to the, you know, to the set, if that happens to be the case. And, you know, oh, God forbid, spill a drink, (laughs) you know, or or something or, or get, you know, food or something on the the pieces or the elements of the game. We're, we're, we're very, very cautious about that. And there is something about these, you know, just scrawling something on the board or ripping something up. That's just like, Oh my God, what, what just happened there? Like, Oh, that's, that's part of this type of game. It's okay. Yeah. I still feel it in my gut. I'm like, Oh no. Oh, it's so painful. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, card games, have had a LCGs have had a history of campaign game modes, right? Yeah. Arkham Horror card game, Thunderstone Quest, Marvel Champions. Um, they're sort of built, a lot of them are built these days around the idea of at, at the end of one scenario, your, you know, cards, the makeup of the deck is going to change in a certain way. So the game is never quite going to play the same again. And the, the cool thing about it is not just that the game isn't playing the same again, but it's playing uh, different because of the choices that you've made. Yeah. Manny talked yeah. about that a lot with Oath, right? Uh, which is not really a card game, but but uh, he, he talked about it that that uh, the winner of each round of Oath changes the way the board looks and changes the makeup of the cards in the, in the deck. And when you come across one of those new cards, you remember, ah, yes, when the when you know when the despot was dethroned and I took the throne. This is one of my innovations, right? That kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the the fun and and, and potentials of impossibilities of this type of game that I, that I don't think has really been. I think again, it's so new, and I think there's a lot that we can still get, and that and that designers can still bring to this. Uh, you know. A new genre of board games, these campaign games, is the um, the ability of the player to really have an impact on on the game state, you know, and and future plays of the game, and having you know, kind of putting your own, um, you know, spin or, or 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 imprint on how the game is played by the the choices that you make. Totally, totally. Yeah. I think that's a I think that's a big deal. Um, so <clears throat> Maracaibo for me was 
one of those things that it changed things, but it didn't feel much like it told a story. I don't think Glenn Moore really told much of a story either in the sense that each mode sort of was its own game that focused on a different piece of, of, of Scottish lore a little bit, but they didn't feel like they were connected in any way. So to me, those kinds of games are more sort of small ball changes to, you know, sort of brand extension, sort of how do we, how do we play this more times without feeling samey, right? I think that's, yeah. which is valid, right? That's a valid thing yeah. to, to do. Yeah. But it doesn't really get into, you know, the possibilities of the form in terms of telling stories, whereas Arkham Horror, holy cow, the stories you can tell by uh, playing a campaign mode in that game, you know, the the relative balance between the, the horrors out there and the investigators and so on and so forth. Um, the game Detective is an interesting one. Mm. Um, this was uh, Ignacy Chevichek's uh, take on the detective genre, and it's sort of set in present day. Um, and the interesting thing about that is that it comes with five cases, and they're interlocking. Case number one, each one is its own case, but you're uncovering a larger case that you're solving as you go, which is fascinating, even though the rules of the game don't change, right? The rules, you start in the same situation in each scenario. Um, you do Some cards are going to come out of the game. Some cards are going to go into the game based on the things that you uncovered or did not uncover, the actions you took or didn't take in the previous mode. But that's it. You're just changing the deck. And by changing the deck and changing what you're starting with on the next round, you're sort of changing how you come into each case, which mm. to me is is a fairly elegant way of doing it. Um, you know what I mean? I think Oath and Detective both do a really good job of coming up with a way to get get you a game that plays a little bit differently, um, to make you feel like the decisions you made the last time you played are of consequence, which I think is a really big part of it, right? To, yeah. To feel like, I've wow, I really did something because we start with this advantage that other players, if they got here, they wouldn't even know this, right? Yeah. I think that's a really cool thing. Well, it really, it, that's what it comes down to, right, is the is the user experience, the experience of the player and, and really, you know, kind of taking a step back and, and and from the designer perspective, this is a really challenging space, right? Like it's, oh, yeah, we know it's 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 challenging enough to just come up with a solid board game with with good mechanics that work and that's balanced and so forth like that's a that's a huge challenge just in it in and of itself to be able to do that and then we're talking about coming up with a game system that is uh you know interchangeable or open enough that can that can have slight modifications and still be good and balanced from campaign to campaign mm -hmm. and then we're talking about the ability to tell a great story. <laughs> yeah. You know? And and all those things together, all those different elements, I think is really what makes a great campaign, which again, I, I don't think we've seen perfected yet. At least I haven't experienced. Um, and, I, and I think there's also a big difference between the types of games, which I don't really care for. I'm definitely more of a, of a Euro resource management heavy gamer. So I don't like the kind of Arkham you know, uh, horror, 
those type of games with the cards and you know huge board and, and moving the, the the you know the, the miniature around um and i and i think these these things are a little bit at, at odds right like i think those more story driven games where there's all this text on on a card um lend themselves more to story and and are not as heavily uh, relied upon um or or rely upon as heavily on on mechanisms necessarily right and um the games that we typically like to enjoy are more um rely on the mechanisms and how they work together and you know we often talk about there's you know, a lot of times the theme is is is, is abstract and we don't we don't necessarily care about that so much let alone that type of game telling some type of persistent story yeah yeah i i think for me it's it's you know that dilettante aspect to us that we have to play so many different games because we have a, a podcast but we also like playing different games i, I don't yeah. i don't have the time at this phase in my life right I, you know when my kids are away in college and you know i i get a you know a few calls a week from them I'm probably going to have more time to 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 do more of this, and I would love to dive into that. But right now, at this phase of life, I don't really have that, so I can't really I can't really jump into Tainted Grail or Kingdom Death Monster the way I would like to. Mm. Right to really do a full on thing. Maddie bought me Betrayal Legacy for my birthday last year, and mm. it has never been played. It's still sitting there unplayed. And it kills me because I hear great things about it. And it seems to be exactly the kind of thing that I would like, which is telling a great story while being a tense strategic game. And that sounds like that sounds like catnip for me. But I know that if I start it, I'm going to have to play with the same people, that same game, 10 times or whatever. And I, I can't you know, it, it's like it's like starting that uh, you know that series that has been sitting in your Netflix queue for a long time, and you realize I can't start this. I can't start this right now. I don't have the time for it. Right, now. I got to wait until I got a moment to to sit down to be able to watch this and digest this. So that's a that's a that's a problem. Here's my question for you: What game would you want to see have a legacy campaign aspect that does not have one? Hmm. That's a great question. I'll go. I'll go for. I'll go first because I've sure. uh, because I've just been thinking about it now. Yep. I will say one thing is I think Food Chain Magnate could have a campaign variety because the Ketchup expansion has seventeen different modules. Yep. I think whoever wins a round of Food Chain Magnate uh, will be able to. You know, they're they're currently dominating the space and. Every other player, all of the competitors, are going to be able to choose one module to add to the to add to the game for the next round because they're like, wow, you know what? We really got crushed on the on the burgers and the and, and the pizza, but you know what? I, I took a trip to Japan. I think sushi is going to be a, the, the next big thing. So we're going to bring in the sushi module, and the modules change based on the previous game state. Hmm. Anyway, that's just that's one. Just one possibility, one thing that I was thinking about. You could tell a little bit of a story there, way. And uh, the other thing I'll say is, is that um, for card games, um, my favorite card game of all time is Android Netrunner. Netrunner is just amazing, unsupported now, so it's dead. But that would have been a great game to have a campaign mode in. 
to yeah. have the you know the, the the corporation wins what what how does that change what, you know what do they change in terms of if you can change to some degree the makeup of your opponent's deck and then they have to adjust to that that I think it could be it could be a fascinating uh, fascinating option mm. any uh, any any thoughts for for you in terms of what you would what you would uh, want to campaign up sure for for me I, I just looking at you know, a few of my favorite games, um, you know, the gallerist, I think could be really interesting. Ooh. Uh, tell a story, maybe new artwork, new artists, um, that follow maybe eras of art, you know, going, going through time could be interesting. Wow. You know how, uh, you know how in modern art, the value of the art is based on how much of it sold last ra- uh, last round in the yes. game. Maybe yeah. something, maybe something like that where, you know the artists don't all start out equal because it's based on previous sales that's interesting yeah yeah i think wow. that could be fun um madeira i think could be interesting in some type of campaign mode mm-hmm. um uh what else could be interesting um on mars could be interesting yeah i mean how would you do that i mean would because do you just build out from where you've already built do do these structures remain? How do you? How would you manage that? It'd be fascinating because I was thinking about that about terraforming Mars as well. But yeah, maybe it could be something with with the technology, right? Like um, you know, you 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 go to um, a different area of Mars, right? Yeah. In, in, in the campaign mode, you've already built one part, but now you have uh, new technology and maybe some some new capabilities and different things that you could get on the station that you couldn't get before as you, you know, build up the next set of complexes. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. That's really, really interesting. Oh man. Yeah. It's a brave new world, isn't it? I mean, we have so many different ways to play games and so many different ways to access them. We can add more story. We can have them play differently the next time. And it's based on our memory of how we played it the last time. And, and you know, the game can be put away in, in very, very simple ways that when you set the game up the next time, it remembers where we left off and all that sort of stuff. I mean, there's some very interesting things going on out there. Yeah. Oh, cool. I think it's wonderful, Elder. Thank you so much for uh, for for recommending that topic. I, I think it's it's fascinating. There's a lot more to to check out. Um, if if everybody out there, if you guys have some some games you would like to see a legacy version of and have an idea of it, um, hit us up on on Facebook. Hit us up on on Discord and and pitch your legacy idea. And maybe we'll include that. Maybe we'll we'll we'll, we'll take a moment or two to read some of them off in uh, in uh, on a future episode. Let's get to it. I think we have a, a game sommelier question. Ready for it, Elder? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do it. Sometimes a player just got to know which game should stay, which game should go, which to play with my mom, my dad, my boo. You got to tell me, monsieur, just what to do. Want to make an impression, but I can't get far. As my 50th player of Agricola, a million games. Show me the way to the master, the game sommelier. All right. We have a question from a 
frequent poster on our Discord channel, John R. John R. is awesome, tearing it up and, and bringing up some really interesting discussions. He has a question. He says, some of us dig heavy and complex. It's a cool insider thing for many gamers. I don't know what you're talking about. There is nothing cool or insider about the way we play games, but... <laughs> um, <laughs> But that doesn't mean complexity is always warranted or that it leads to good play. What are some of your favorite heavies that you know are too complex, overwrought, and noisy? Games that would benefit from the clean, crisp blade of Occam's elegant razor. Very nice. Well, well, well uh, good turn of phrase. What aspects would you shave off and why? Um, I'll start by saying Jennifer weighed in on Discord and said Feudum for her was a game that just had, you know, too many, uh, the, to, to quote Amadeus, too many notes, <laughs> too many, just a little too much, too many rules, too many exceptions to the rule. Um, I've never played Feudum, so I can't say, but the reason that I haven't played Feudum is I heard almost exactly that same thing. So I think she's, she's probably dead on right. That said, I really want to play Feudum. I really want to try that game. Um, you, anything that comes to mind for you, Elder? I got a, a few things to talk about, but. Yeah, this was a tricky question for me because I feel like I, I that's something that really attracts me to games. I mean, um, you know, our pal Vital Acerta, um, <laughs> very complex. You know, we've we've said Baroque on on the cast before. Yeah. Very dense rule sets, which I I really tend to be attracted to that. And I think if something is overly complex, if I play something and I feel like the complexity is too much for the game player too heavy, then I won't go back to it. I mean, um, so and Lisboa come close to me. They come, they come close to being a little, uh, a little yeah, too much. Yeah. And I, and I think that's where I kind of landed where I, I really couldn't think of anything outside of his games that um, I felt was too complex that I would consider a favorite or something that I even liked. Um, and so it really kind of became a, a, a bit of a ranking of, of his games for me, whereas <laughs> Galarus is I, I still feel like his masterpiece. Um, I was feeling like one Mars might, um, you know, give it a run for its money. But after maybe seven or eight plays now on Mars, I, I love it. I think it's great. Um, but I feel like it's um it's more intuitive on Mars is more intuitive of a game, but I don't feel like it makes it more of a favorite for me. I really love the gallerist and that it is so complex and there is so many things to, um, to keep track of and to kind of manage in the game. And it's more open of a space, whereas a lot can go on and on Mars. There's still amazing decisions to make, mm -hmm. but I feel like it's a little more narrow, a game space, than to, to a lot than Galarus. I feel like, you know, in a three or four player games, there's, I mean, you you really gotta be, you're on a mission in all Mars. And I think the Galarus plays more like, you know, your, your experiences, you're this international art collector and, you know, you can go more money-based or you could go more fame-based. Um, you know, you can, you can focus on the international market or you can focus on, you know, getting your, your, your artists more, more famed. It's, 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 it's more open, I think. Um, whereas like you said, Lisboa, I feel like he has a little, little more complicated. Even some of his earlier games like CO2 feel a little, little more chunky, um, yeah. than, you know, is, is, is really, um, 
I guess, warranted for the gameplay experience that you get. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that they're, they're, I can't say specifically what to change um, but because, you know, the part of being Baroque is, is that they're so intertwined and, and every mechanic, you, you know, it, it's going to be pulling at a thread on the, on the sweater. And before you know it, you got no sweater. So uh, how to do it, I'm not really sure. Um, yeah. For me, I, I, I went right to one of the games that I would love to play but can't really play. That's what it is for me, right? That's heavy and complex. Like, like too complex is uh, is a problem for some games that I love and can't get them out. Uh, here I stand. Amazing, amazing seven-player game of the Protestant Reformation. Hmm. The problem is, is that in order to teach Here I Stand, I would essentially have to have, okay, Elder, you come at 6 a.m., and from six to seven, I'm going to teach you how to play the Protestants. And then uh, you go and do something for four hours. Uh, then Trey's going to come at seven. And from <laughs> seven to eight, I'm going to teach him how the Holy Roman Empire plays and all the rules for that. And then from you know eight to nine, I'm going to teach so-and-so. There are so many sub-games that are being played by the various players. The, the religious powers, the, the Holy Roman, uh, the, the, I'm sorry, the Catholic Church, and the Protestant Reformation play radically different games than everybody else. The Ottoman mm -hmm. Empire plays a very significantly different game than, than the other players. The other three, you know, France, Britain, and the Holy Roman Empire, they're sort of more core. They play more of a core game. But it's just one of those situations where there's too many mini-games that aren't just mini-games because they're the main game for some players that... I would love to find a way to to integrate them a little bit more. That said, one of the things I love about the game is that they're not integrated, <laughs> but yeah. it's, but it also does uh, really kill the ability to play. Um, you know, we'll we'll talk about Bios Origins and Pax Transhumanity. I think that when you talk about Vital Lacerda getting a little baroque at times, I think Phil Eklund can as well. Uh, Full disclosure: There was a, a a post based on my comment last week about uh, thinking twice before buying another Phil Eklund game. Uh, there was a post on Reddit, our board games, um, that was referencing that, and I, I chimed in there as well. Um, but I'm not going to stop talking about uh, his games because his games are interesting. Uh, Bios Origins I have yet to play, but is very very interesting to me. Pax Transhumanity I've only played once. I would like to play it again, but I do think those two games, in trying to wrap my head around everything that the game is, they're a little—they're a little much. They're a little much, um, partially because the everything is an exception. Everything in Bios Origins and everything in Pax Transhumanity is okay. When you draw this card, this is the rule for this card. This is the thing that this thing does. And it doesn't appear anywhere else in the game, or it appears rarely else in the game. So you end up learning 75 mini rules instead of, you know, eight master rules and everything else is a variant thereof. Mm. I, I think that can be, it's an interesting design concept, uh, but it, it, it runs into problems. Um, yeah. John Company, Cole Worley is not, is not immune to this. John Company is a game that is a, a fairly opaque process-oriented game that works its way toward being an 18xx game but takes so long to get there that, uh, you know, I wish that it could be boiled down to get to the good stuff faster. Uh, 
the uh, Revolution, the Dutch Revolt, I mentioned Francis Tresham, amazing design. Uh, super hard to get people to kind of grasp what it is. It's sort of one of those old style games where each round has, you know, 13 phases and so on and so forth to, to get to the next one. And I, I wish there was a way to to get to the heart of what that game is quicker. And last but not least, Starfleet Battles. Starfleet Battles. If you bought the original Starfleet Battles where you have, you know, an Enterprise class starship and the other player has a Klingon Warbird, a Klingon, you know, uh, D9 or whatever, and you two are going at each other. Oh, what a phenomenal game. Just amazing. But then they sold this expansion and that expansion and this expansion and that expansion, and all of them come with uh, pages and pages of rules that go into a binder. And that binder just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And before you know it, you sit down to play with somebody and you feel like you're at a deposition. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, I refer you to uh, subsection 17 of 34C, which states that my probe can become a missile in certain circumstances. You'll notice that we are in a nebula. And, you know, it, it just absolutely killed the game. And for Starfleet Battles... I would love it to be able to to just take Starfleet Battles, just cut it off at the knees and bring it down to that to that core experience and and just have fun again. Because that was a, a really fun experience and a game that I will never play again because of you know, because of the, the, the community and what it's and what it's become. Yeah. Uh that's that's all I got for that, John. I hope that's uh, helpful. I know that we didn't get quite as specific as we would like to be in terms of what aspects would we shave off and why, but hopefully that gives you an idea of uh, where Elder and my brains went when you said, what's too heavy? What's too yeah. complex? Um, Elder, we did it. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I tremendously miss you, and I and I really, really enjoyed uh, playing with you this week. Let's, let's get Madeira... Uh, on the virtual table uh, coming up uh, next week. And uh, let's get playing more games, man. I miss you. Yeah, you too, man. Thank you so much. It's been fun as always. Uh, and yeah, let's 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 play some more games. Stay safe. And I'm, I'm pulling for your wife. I hope that uh, everything goes well in her. You know, she's, she is basically a first responder front lines person down there in San Diego, not to get into too much detail, but um, yeah, just everybody send, send good thoughts there. We have a YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash C forward slash game brain pod. We have a Facebook group and a discord channel and boy, those are getting a lot of, uh, a lot of traffic now that everybody is locked up and, uh, please get us those board game sommelier questions. We're kind of, uh, at the bottom of the bag now. And as always. You've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson and Tom Donnelly. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. Hi, Alfred. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can also reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening and go play some games with friends online or virtually make some friends with games.